This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH Retcast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, the guy who is really excited to try to cast all 10 of the ultimatum spells in one game. It's Matt Morgan. When I was younger, I wanted to be a shepherd because I really like their pies, but I was a little sheepish. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) goodness gracious, Matt. You always get me. Every week I feel like I won't laugh at them, but somehow your your, your jokes always do get me. It's ridiculous. Uh, Next, the guy who will somehow manage to survive when Matt casts all 10 of the ultimatums. That's Dana Roach. Um, Unlike Matt, I'm going to be serious here and just throw a note note out there to all our listeners in states starting to open back up post-pandemic here. If you're looking for a commander to emulate in these coming days... Estrid the Masked is your role model. All right. Well, subtle, Dana. Very subtle. (laughs) And this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. Hey, guys, what is our topic this week? The most common budget commanders is the topic, Joey. Indeed. We're going to be looking at some behind-the-scenes-ish data on EDHREC to see some trends about which commanders or strategies are built most often on a budget. But before we get to our main topic, we have to give a huge thank you to Josh Lequai and the folks over at the Command Zone who handle all the post-production on the podcast. They do an amazing job and make it look just so, so spiffy. So thank you guys so much. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors, Card Kingdom and TCG Player, who provide the up-to-date price info for the card images on EDHREC. If you want to get any of the cards that we talk about in this episode, we just can't recommend them enough. All you have to do is click on the price links on EDHREC and it'll take you right to their web pages. Or if you order from Card Kingdom, you can go to cardkingdom.com slash EDHREC and that will help show your support for the site and for the show. Really awesome stuff. Guys, I'm really excited. Let's get into this whole budget commander stuff. Before we get to the trend stuff, before we get to any of that, do you guys tend to build on a budget very often or do you just like to spruce up your decks as much as possible? Dana, I'm kind of hinting that you spruce up your decks a whole lot. I've seen your all foil decks. So I'm just kind of wondering what your relationship is to budget building. Um, you know, there was not many years ago, I remember building a deck and looking at it and being like, Beastmaster Ascension is $4? I, I don't think so. That's, <laughs> that's too rich for my blood. Um, that's no longer the way I think about decks when I build rightly or wrongly. So, so I tend to not worry too much about budget myself. Yeah. Well, and I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum. So you guys make fun of me for never updating my decks because half of my decks are just stuff that I have laying around. So a lot of my decks are kind of free when you think about it. So that's the ultimate budget is free decks because it's stuff you just have laying around. 
I like that. I like that a lot. That I think that's especially one of the most important things for me is like making sure that the deck works before I invest a whole bunch of money into it, making sure that the foundations are there and the deck strategy can still work even if I don't, you know, go all out for a bunch of the dual lands. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're going to be talking about budget decks or something like that, but like building on a budget is in no way, you know, you building a bad deck at all. Like budget decks can totally still pack a punch. And really that's what we're here to find out is which of those decks are built most commonly on a budget. And I think a lot of the commanders that we're going to be seeing here are ones that can still totally wreck your day, even if they are oh, commonly yeah. built on a budget. All right, so let's get into some specific examples. We just took a quick snapshot of data. Um, this was drawn around the beginning of May here in 2020, and these are commanders that are most commonly built on a budget. We have the ability to look at some high price on the decks and some low prices on the decks, but we just wanted to average all of that out. As a quick note, of course, prices change like all the ding dang time. So this really is just a snapshot and not a really eternal thing, but still we want to see what we can find here. Um, as another quick note, we didn't include any commanders that have fewer than 100 decks because there's just not a whole lot of data there, but we do still have some stuff here. We pulled a report and there are some commanders that are sticking out to me, but I want to hear from you guys when you're looking through the list that we got here, which commanders do we see and what impressions do they make on you? Well, I, I do want to quickly note um, for listeners who maybe aren't like that well-versed in the scientific language we're using here. Um, ding dang time is actually an economic <laughs> term that's oftentimes used by economists to describe a price changes over a period. So um, they do change all the ding dang time for sure. I, mean, I, I, I don't think was, that I thought it was something they said like in the Oregon Trail days when you're on the frontier. <laughs> that might be too, that might be as well when you die of dysentery. That could be. <laughs> I just don't think that listeners want to hear how we average this out by the Pearson second coefficient or anything like that. I just I'm not sure that that's useful. So ding dang time it is. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, guys, what are we seeing here? Who, uh, which commanders are built most commonly on a budget on average? So the top ones on our list here, we have Zada Hedron Grinder. Um, Zada is a goblin from the um, second Zendikar block. And whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell that targets only Zada Hedron Grinder, copy that spell for each other creature you control that the spell could target. And each copy targets a different one of those creatures. Uh, we have Grun the Lonely King up next. A uh, relatively new commander out of Dominaria. Uh, Grun is a 5-5 with kicker 3, and if he was kicked, enters a battlefield with 5 plus 1 counters on it. Whenever Grun attacks alone, you double its power and toughness till end of turn. We have Mowu, loyal commander number 3. Mowu! Uh, <laughs> Should have had, had uh, Matt read this one. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, a, a hound with trample and vigilance, and if one or more plus 1 counters will be put on Mowu, Put that many plus one counters on it instead. It's a 3 3. And last, number four, how are the Fire Fletcher? Um, there are 3 3 with Trample, and whenever you cast a spell, if that spell was kicked, put a plus one counter on how are the Fire Fletcher, and how are deals damage equal to the number of plus one counters on it to each opponent. So, yeah, those make up the top lowest budget, top lowest that works in my brain somehow. Top low. Um, but yeah, we do. Top lows. Yeah, we do see those uh, showing up you know, most consistently built on a budget. I'm noticing that all of those are uncommon cards. Yeah, I mean, they, they you look at them and they kind of seem like there's a bunch of, to me at least, a bunch of just very cheap, very efficient cards that pop into my mind because a lot of them tend to be, you know, kind of draft chaff. Oh, well, I found this and I kind of built an entire deck around just cards that I found laying around. And and all of those seem to be those types of cards. Yeah, I mean, the, the commanders themselves, you mentioned they're uncommon, so the commanders themselves are budget. Um, you know, Three of the four are monocolor, so you have a cheap land base for the most part working with them there as well. And they tend to do fairly cheap things. Zada's doing kind of combat tricks, which are oftentimes, Matt mentioned, draft chaff cards that are cheap. Um, Halar is using... Um, kicker effects and a lot of that. There's a lot of commons and uncommons being put in that deck too. So it's it's a lot of, you know, they're, they're cheap commanders that are doing cheap things. Yeah, and I guess here's the other thing for me. Remember how we said that some of these commanders are going to be like still powerful? Have you ever played against a Mowu deck or a Zada deck? Because I have been punched in the face by both Mowu and Zada many times and Good lord, they're so good, and <laughs> you don't need much to make them really power. <laughs> Zada's an absolute monster. Zada's as good as any commander out there. Yes, yeah. absolutely. 
So those were just some of the, uh, you know, the ones among the top. But are any other commanders here that stand out from the list? Uh, anything else that jumps out at you, maybe? You know, quick scanning down the list, I will point out the first three color commander we have in the list is at number 20. Um, that's Dog- Dogtar the Adamant. And technically, that can be a commander that's only ran as, as two colors because it's a single cost color to cast and has an activated ability making it three colors so you don't even have to have a complicated land base to run that commander so the the, my main takeaway here is lands are expensive (laughs) yes yes it's not surprising at all to see so many one and two color commander decks Mm -hmm. in this list because yeah mana bases tend to be one of the more expensive ones Um, and i'm sure when we have the inverse of this episode where we talk about the most expensive uh, types of strategies and, and commanders, it's going to be a lot of three and four color. I mean, I, I'm assuming that's just going to be how it is because once you add up all the shock lands and fetch lands and whatever else you put into your mana base, I mean, even some of the the check lands from Dominaria, they're they're not cheap anymore. So when you add up all that, one and two color seems to be the the way to go when you're talking about budget. And and looking at the list, yeah, it's a bunch of one and two color decks. It it hurts me a little bit to see so much white in there too, outside of like the mono green. Like you have Esperia the Inscrutable, which is the Sphinx that does a lot of things, but I'm not sure if it actually accomplishes anything because I've never actually read it. (laughs) Uh, But you also have some Boros commanders like uh, Dapala, Pilot Exemplar, which probably is going to be a vehicles deck and vehicles tend to be pretty cheap outside of a, a, a couple that are just more important for 60 card formats. Uh, you also have Annex and Siamidi, which is a, it's a very, very fun heroic deck, but also at the same time, it's kind of in the same territory as Zada, where it's just a bunch of instant sorceries, maybe some pump spells, but nothing that's really going to break the bank when you put it into the deck. Yeah, Matt, it's true. We are definitely seeing weight towards certain colors on this list. For example, I see like you said, a lot of white. Both Audrics show up here. I used to have an Audric deck myself, actually. And man, that thing also, again, these things pack such a huge bunch. I really like a lot of the commanders that we're seeing here. But just focusing on individual commanders, just picking out a handful of commanders that we see on this list, I'm not sure that that would be as enlightening as maybe zooming out a little bit more and seeing if we can find any trends from among the most common budget commanders. So that is exactly what we've done. We are zooming out to the top 100 most common budget commanders to see what commonalities we can find there. So the way that we measured this is hopefully not too complicated. We basically just went through the top 100 budget commanders and labeled them according to their most common strategy as measured by EDHREC. So for example, if you click on any commander's page, beneath it you'll see a list of their different archetypes, such as like life gain or mill or something like that, because EDHREC has measured a high density of those types of cards that are commonly put into that commander's different decks from all the deck lists all across the internet. There are some commanders like Atraxa, for example, that have a lot of different build pads. Whenever we saw one of those, we just went with the most common strategy. So that is certainly something to account for. But this is something that we wanted to see the actual deck archetypes, which one of those are the most common. Because just looking at those top four, just looking at, you know, Audrix and Hellars and stuff like that, that's not going to tell us a whole lot. But if we zoom out, we might find something a little bit more interesting. Before we get to that, though, before we actually look at what those numbers show us, I want to ask you guys what you think would be the most common archetypes. I, I had sent this question before we actually arranged show notes to ask you guys before we saw what the data actually says, what do you think is the most common budget archetype that folks are building out there? What do you think? So just going over the the commanders that we've talked about, I would guess n- token decks that don't have green in there. Uh, so if you're talking Boros or Mono White, Mono Red, I think those are going to be pretty well represented because when you get into green, you have stuff like Parallel Lives and and Doubling Season, which are not cheap cards at all. So I, I would guess token decks are probably going to be fairly well represented. Um, and then combo decks probably aren't going to be in there too much, uh, especially the artifact-centered ones because a lot of the very, very powerful artifacts like Mana Vault and Mana Crypt, those are just going to be priced out of a lot of these more budget range decks. Okay, gotcha. Dana, any guesses from you? You had certainly noted that, you know, we've got a lot of one and two color decks and not a lot of three color decks that are showing up among uh, the budget stuff here. But what about the actual strategies instead of just the colors? My initial guess going in um, would have been aggro decks. And I think then seeing Zada being number one, and I, I would probably have considered that an aggro deck as well would have probably confirmed that, although I've now since seen the results and know that I'm not at all correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, let's just get to them. Dana, what are the results that we are seeing? What is the most common archetype that is commonly built on a budget? 
the most common archetype but on the budget is tribal. And if you think about it, that does make sense because when you're building a tribal deck, you're usually limiting yourself to a pretty specific card pool. And many times you're digging from the commons and uncommons of that card pool to have the specific tribal bodies you want for that deck. Um, so it makes sense in hindsight looking at it, but you know, I wouldn't have guessed tribal. You wouldn't have guessed tribal. I, I think that... I don't know. Now that we know the answer, I guess it's kind of like, oh, I yeah. probably would have said that. And that's really right. easy of me to try and do. <laughs> but like the more specific a strategy is, the less ubiquitous those cards become. And so that means that, you know, not everyone's going to want them. And usually an increased demand is what tends to lead to a higher price. There aren't like a bunch of goblin smothering tithes, for example. So that is kind of an inclination that I think does sort of help it. But among those most common here, let's actually get to the number because it's not just the most common archetype that we saw among the strand. It is overwhelmingly the most common. 38 of the top 100 commanders that we measured this way that are most commonly built on a budget, 38 of them had a tribal archetype build. We had mentioned Depala earlier. We also had stuff like Ariel, Knight of Windgrace, the Knight tribal commander. Cassetto shows up. That's snake tribal in Simic colors. Adelie's the Cinderwind, who is also a spellslinger, but was counted as tribal because the strategy is most commonly wizard tribal on her page. A whole bunch of tribal stuff. Nearly, like, nearly 40% of those things. Like, that's just... Tribal was a huge one here. A lot of the data is weighted in favor of this archetype being very, very common to build as budget. Well, one thing that's very interesting that we've talked about a couple times before is, is Gargos, which is the uh, legendary Hydra that makes all your Hydras cheaper, but also has a, a fight clause built in whenever you target it with a spell. So seeing that as the one of the most budget-friendly ones, and we even said when we made that observation originally, some of those Hydras that you're putting in those decks aren't very cheap anymore. So it's interesting to see that Gargos, despite playing what can be an expensive tri tribe with Hydras, is actually showing up as a fairly budget deck overall. And I think, too, that speaks to the fact of their synergy and how well these cards cooperate with each other. You don't need the big individually powerful cards when those synergies can mm -hmm. all allow them to multiply each other's power. Um, and so these things can still be strong, even if you don't have individual good stuff cards or individual powerful cards. You don't need any singular expensive standouts to make these things still coalesce and do a really, really good thing. That was just the first archetype, though. What is up next? What are the numbers showing here? What is our next most popular archetype on a budget? So the next one we're seeing is going to be equipment-focused decks. So that's going to be talking about commanders like our Lord and Savior Valda, Keeper of the Flame, <laughs> where you get all sorts of elementals every turn for every every uh, aura and equipment put onto Valdic, but also you have you know some commanders like uh, Kemba, which will make a bunch of cats whenever you have uh, some equipments on Kemba, and also Dantha Capuchin, which is another very versatile type of effect. So we're seeing 10 of the top 100 commanders fall into that equipment-style deck. I feel like uh, one of you guys had mentioned that maybe you thought Voltron would be among the top. Is that just my imagination? Is that me retroactively putting that in your mouths, or had, had you actually said that? We, we can retroactively pretend that I said <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah. I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm totally here for it. I think that we all see those big, scary equipment, like the Sword of Feast and Famines or something. We see huge price tags on those, and we assume that maybe that might be a little bit out of reach, but it's actually pretty common to build those, especially with stuff like Valduk. I mean, Valduk makes a bunch of tokens. Matt, your Valduk deck has got to be maybe $20 tops, and that thing packs <laughs> such a big punch that it, it really annoys me because <laughs> my life total goes to zero, and it's sad. At one point in time, yes, I had a beta mountain in there and that basic land cost more than the rest of the deck oh my goodness. it isn't that way anymore I, I've, <laughs> I've obviously upgraded a little bit but yes it, it is very very easy to put uh, a critical mass of just common and uncommon type of equipments like kite shield and bone saw and all those just cheap you know one and two mana equipments and cram them into a deck that's going to give you some sort of a payoff for it it, I can I will totally believe that there are some very very powerful type of equipment focused commanders that you can build on 10 15 dollars and they'll do very very well even at some more higher powered higher powered tables excuse me well I think <laughs> yeah. in a lot of ways this is kind of similar to tribal here in equipment you know yes you could run all the swords of of 
punch in face or, or what have you and, and <laughs> definitely have it them be expensive and strong but the synergy Val, valduk and, and kemba bring to running fairly common equipment makes up for the power level the same thing i think is a little bit true in the tribal section where we're looking at they're talking about expensive hydras for example the hydras that aren't expensive are still pretty good they generally don't print bad bad hydras they might not be standard good or might not be good enough to be worth ten dollars but they're still probably pretty effective cards in commander they tend to have trample and be pretty powerful and do something on the field. So you don't have to run the expensive things in either of these two slots to still have there be plenty of powerful cards for you to use. Yeah, for sure. And actually, speaking of Hydras, the next most popular archetype that we're seeing here, this is actually tied, but the next one we've got on our list is plus one, plus one counters, which we know that Hydras love. But some of the commanders that we had just mentioned earlier, like Halar, does have a lot of plus one counter synergies going on there. Mowu, gotta love Mowu, kind of counts as a Voltron, sort of, but the plus one counters are just totally off the charts and man mobile packs a huge bunch that is a buff dog or other stuff like rishkar or vorel of the whole clade also show up here among the plus one counters as being very very commonly built on a strict budget and those are all really really good tied for plus one counters also with eight among the top 100 we had the tokens strategy and matt the thing that you had mentioned about the non-green tokens definitely came true. When we look through this list, I'm seeing a lot of non-green here in this tokens strategy. Yeah, stuff like Brutaclad and Throwmock. I mean, Throwmock, it does have green in there, but when you look at the typical deck, even when you look back to our Thanksgiving episode that we did a while ago, you can do some very, very powerful things with Throwmock and not need to have doubling season and parallel lives, which typically will just jack up the price of any deck that you put them in. Yeah, and the other one I was referring to was Temet Vizier of Noctamoon, who is white and blue and makes your token unblockable. We also have some commanders like Ovaya Pashiri, another mono green commander that really loves tokens. And again, plus one counter strategies and token strategies, eight of the top 100 most common budget decks. And I think that folks may notice we were talking about 38 for tribe and that number dropped off really, really hard. Equipment had 10, plus one counters have eight, tokens have eight. We've got a couple of others that are still, you know, sort of hanging on in terms of numbers, but it really is overwhelmingly skewed towards tribal when it looks uh, at all of this budget stuff here. Um, Let's go through the rest of what's on this list here, though. What are our next most common archetypes on a budget? Um, You know, once you get past tokens, we're looking at Spellslinger, then auras and last burn decks with only four rounding it out. But I mean, Spellslinger's only six, so we're looking at some pretty small numbers here, definitely compared to Tribal. Yeah, Spellslinger decks, stuff like Savin the Chronoclasm, for example, shows up as a very budget Spellslinger deck. Like you mentioned, there are six of the top 100 there. Auras, I kind of want to put an asterisk on that. We had five that registered here among the top 100. Stuff like Siona or Tiana, both really cool aura commanders. And then Burn sort of qualifies as stuff like Firesong and Sunspeaker, which is sometimes built as life gain, but does have a lot of Burn cards on it to get all of that life, do a ton of damage to everything. And also the new Tor brand from Throne of Eldraine, um, who, again, talking about commanders that pack a huge bunch, you don't need to uh, do a whole lot to make Tor brand really powerful. Um, I kind of want to circle back to that Auras one there, though, because Auras and Equipment, I feel, have an interesting relationship with each other. They are technically two different themes, according to EDH Rec. But they both kind of fit the Voltron mold. So if we combine those numbers, which I personally want to do, we've got five aura commanders and 10 equipment commanders. We can see that Voltron has about 15 uh, total of the 100 most common budget. I think that Voltron, we can conclude pretty easily that that's also a very common thing to build on a budget. And if we know anything from these Voltron commanders, they can really, really do some damage. We also have some more uncommon commanders popping up here. Shanna being uncommon, um, Siona being uncommon, and I believe Torbran was also the uncommon. No, Torbran was a rare. Mm. But so there's like there's a couple of uncommons there as well that continue that trend of of not necessarily being the rares and in, in, in mythics that are that are showing up. Yeah, the final trend that we should notice here is that 18 of the top 100 budget commanders were uncommon. Uh, so the stuff like Mowu or like Halar uh, or Siona, Tiana, all of them. So uncommon. If the commander itself is very cheap, I think it's a good cue that the deck itself can also be uh, very, very cheap. We're not seeing among these, you know, top 100 budget commanders, we're not going to see a $40 Atraxa, for example, because that really skews the data there. Yeah, the, you're not going to see an Atraxa because Atraxa as a, as a card is more expensive than a lot of the, the lists that you see <laughs> right. when we're looking at the data here. So, yeah. Yeah, I think Atraxa is a good thing to point out here, too, because even though we're not seeing them among these hundred, like, it is still 
definitely possible and probably really easy to build a deck like Atraxa or even Marin, I think is like eight or nine dollars. It's still really easy to build those commanders on a budget and have them also be very, very powerful. So that's definitely something that we should note when we're looking at here. Some of those commanders may not be drawn from these top 100, but they're still really, really good on a budget for sure. Another thing that I do want to point out is that combo is a very difficult archetype to suss out when we're looking at all of these. For example, Experiment Kraj shows up on the list as one of the plus one plus one counters commanders, but Experiment Kraj is also really famous as being a combo enabler. So there's kind of a, a through line, I think, throughout a whole lot of these. Siona technically counts as an Aura's commander, but also has an infinite combo available with the card Shield of Faith, Shielded by Faith, Faith Shield. It's 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 a thing. It's on the screen right now. I can't remember what it's called. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there is also like a tendency for combo. I think that combo is kind of hiding among this data, but it's still definitely really present. I'm not sure that I would say that combo is necessarily more expensive. Like I think that it also could totally be combo on a budget would be easy to do. But what, what do you guys think on that? Do you think that it's hiding or do you think that it's actually more difficult to do when on a budget? What What's your take? I think primarily it's hiding. I think it's really, it's, it's just tough to class classify looking strictly at the cards versus like talking to the person who's piloting the deck. So I think a lot of that is just the, the decks are hiding in our stats. Yeah. yeah, you can definitely hide some very, very cheap combo decks or just hide very cheap combos into budget decks. Like you, if you're playing uh, any of the green-white commanders, for example, you can put a, a Devoted Druid and a Vizier of Remedies, which lets you basically get uh, infinite mana real quick just because you, you tap it, put a minus one, minus one counter on it, doesn't get the minus one counter because of the Vizier, and you make infinite mana. Um, those are both pretty cheap cards, so you can easily put those into something and then just have an, an X spell payoff, and that's going to be a combo deck there too. So yeah, I, I think that a lot of the combo decks we may not just be able to see because they're there are so many interactions out yeah. there. I'm sure you can find some very, very cheap ways to fit in combo finishes to pretty much any deck. Yeah, I, I, that's I a, just a difficult it's, thing for EDH Rec to measure, really, whenever yeah. there's combos on a commander's page, especially if you look at like an artifact commander, for example. Like I've seen plenty. I've been a player who plays an artifact deck and realizes, oops, I'm infinite on the board and I didn't even mean to. Um, so <laughs> combo is just difficult to actually measure in that way. But I do think it's it's kind of a through line here that is just hiding from the way that we measure. I also think that there's probably some some weird number things going on where like just one or two really, really powerful cards in an archetype might well throw off the stats. I mean, it's it's very mm -hmm. possible that if you were to remove, say, Doubling Season and Crater Hoof Behemoth from mm -hmm. um, things like a plus one counters deck or tokens deck, those numbers might skyrocket, but those are those cards are such absolute bombs in those decks that even if someone's running on a budget, they might well be like, I'm just going to not eat lunch for the next week and a half till I can buy that crater hoof because it's so important to the deck. Or they just proxy it up or something. Um, but that's going to totally throw off the numbers because those cards are so relatively expensive. And I think that's that's part of the reason I was thinking aggro for being um, one of the top things here. Because I was thinking in terms of my Edric's Master Atress deck, take a couple cards out of that as well, and nothing costs anything. It means just a bunch of you know 1-1 one, one flyers, except for I have a couple of expensive counter spells in it. So things like that can really also throw some of these stats off, whereas there probably aren't any really expensive haymakers that tend to generically go into a tribal deck, say, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's always something very interesting that I like doing it just in general with advanced filters is excluding yeah. some random key card. Um, I was looking at a Kazir and Ukima, for example, and I just happened to exclude all of the decks uh, that were playing Food Chain. And all of a sudden I looked at the average price of the decks and it dropped by like $400 because people who typically are playing Food Chain type of combos, they're putting a lot more expensive support cards in there like force of wheels like your fast mana that you typically see so it's always interesting just to see what kind of budget gems you can pull out just by excluding one card you bet yeah yeah, using the filters on EDHREC is always one of the best ways to use EDHREC because those cards, you can just section up, you can use the budget filters, which we talked about in our episode 102, uh, you know, how budget can change the, the page and how it can change your strategy and using things to exclude or include specific cards that you know you want to play. That's absolutely going to be very key, especially if you're building a budget and trying to find those types of replacements. Totally, totally love it. Another thing I do want to point out about some of the data that we're seeing here is that a lot of the commanders that we've named and a lot of the commanders that we saw on this list do have more 
multiple build paths, which we did address earlier, but I kind of want to revisit it um, because what's interesting about them is that a lot of those also have types that are still showing up as very common. For example, Kalemni registered as a giant tribal deck, but her next most popular archetype is equipment which is the number two most popular budget archetype that we measured. So it's kind of funny seeing these, they sort of bounced off of each other. Um, a lot of these archetypes are sort of consolidated. It's not like, you know, tribal is showing up as the most uh, popular one at the expense of other data. It's sort of like all conglomerated still in that, oh, they're still tribal or, oh, they're still the Voltron or, oh, they're still auras and stuff like that. It is all sort of like still within the same realm as each other, which I just did kind of want to address. Um, and the final thing that I wanted to ask you guys, if is if among these top archetypes that we've seen so far, are there any you're surprised didn't show up here? Um, aggro. I mean, I thought it was going to be highly ranked and it just isn't a thing. So that definitely surprised me. Yeah, I, I, it's always easy to build a monocolor infect deck and just put some some cheap pump yeah. spells in there. I mean, especially in mono green and mono blue, um, you have little evasive creatures and you just go go to town and you know all you need is a single triumph of the hordes which is a five dollar card but even then you can put it with a bunch of 10 cent cards and it's an insane deck still so um having that in there is kind of surprising or uh, having that not in there i should say um is is one that surprises me because i mean you could put a necropede in nearly any deck and kind of build around that yeah, or a Tainted Strike. Tainted Strike is a lot of fun. especially. We're not talking about Tainted Strike after what Dana <laughs> almost did to me on stream a few weeks ago. It, it was pretty great. But yeah, I think I'm with you that I sort of might have expected a taint, uh, Infect to show up a little bit more because a lot of those cards are very, very budget-friendly indeed. We do want to talk a bit more about other strategies that aren't showing up here, some of the archetypes that are a little bit less common on a budget. But before we get there, we're going to challenge some stats because there's so much data here on EDHREC. But we don't always agree with it. Sometimes I think that cards are seeing too much play. Sometimes they're seeing too little play. So what we like to do is challenge those stats. Matt, how about you start us off this week? What is your challenge? So my challenge this week is for Tajik Legion's Edge decks. So all you Boros fans out there, this one's for you. So Tajik has a very, very interesting ability where it prevents all non-combat damage dealt to other creatures you control. So keying in on that, I, I was looking at actually Zergo Helm Smasher, which is the big Zergo that's indestructible. And there was a card there that I really liked and actually has been performing very well for me in a lot of my decks that I think would actually be very interesting in Tajik Legion's Edge decks. And that card is Chandra's Ignition. So Chandra's Ignition is three red red for a sorcery. It says target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to each other creature and each opponent. So if you have any sort of pump abilities like you typically are going to have in a Boros deck because you're probably winning through combat, you can pump up your Tajik, cast Chandra's Ignition, and it kind of turns into a one-sided board wipe because the damage is prevented to all of your other creatures, meaning if anything is going to get picked off, it's not going to be your stuff. This is a very, very good card, and if you look at the typical Tajik decks, there's all sorts of different cards like Chain Reaction, which deals X damage to each creature, which is the number of creatures in play. So there's already a lot of damage-based board wipes in the deck. I think Chandra's Ignition has the upside of being able to go to the face of the other players, which is going to win you games by itself. Uh, it's only seeing play currently in 14% of all Tajik decks. And I think that is very, very underplayed. All right. Sweet deal. I like that pick a lot. Yeah, that's a great card. Dana, you're up next. Um, I'm up next. And in Matt's of the Magic Words, he said Infect. Um, my challenge here is for Arc Bond in any Infect deck able to run it. Arc Bond is an instant from back in the cons block. Choose target creature. Whenever that creature is dealt damage this turn, it deals that much damage to each other creature and each player. So when you are playing Infect, people usually want to try to block your things with Infect. And you usually hopefully have less poison counters than they do. So if they block <laughs> with, with some large creature as long as it's has a power less than the amount of poison that would kill you it's going to deal that much poison to everyone at the table and conceivably should kill everyone but you it's a combat trick it's instant speed it can be something that you can cast into a terrible board state when you are you know <laughs> have a 2-2 creature with infect and someone has an 8-8 blocker out um, it's a actual win condition if you are playing Infect and have access to red, and it should be in more than 1,800 decks total. 
Oh, only total? Wow, that's yeah. a, just a really nasty combat spell sort of in general. But yeah. It, I especially like it for the infect thing, even though, boy, you nasty. That's ridiculous. Uh, but I think also, like, you know, when we're talking about infect, my mind went to Sultai. I usually associate uh, infect with Sultai colors or something like Atraxa, which is distinctly non-red. But if we use EDHREX theme pages, there is an infect theme page. And I'm seeing Saskia near the top of that list yeah. with at least 170 uh, decks that are dedicated to an infect theme in Saskia. Um so, I mean, because that's great. She does extra damage and then you can throw an arc bond in there for extra damage. I'm just like, man, that's a lot of poison counters that you're throwing around there, bro. It's almost like I just built a Tim Retzer Murder King Infect deck. <laughs> almost, almost. Uh, it's funny to me that we all picked a red card this week because my challenge is also going to be a red card played in around the same number of decks as Arcbond, actually, which means that it is being played in too few decks. This is the card, Nullspine Dragon. Nullspine Dragon is a 7-mana, seven 7-5 seven dragon with flying. When it enters the battlefield, you may discard your hand and draw cards equal to the damage dealt to target opponent this turn. I will read that again. This is a big dragon that hits for seven and which draws you cards. All you have to do is pitch your hand and have dealt damage to someone. That is what red does. That is what red loves to do. So I think this is great. I really like this one a lot. If you are playing the Ur dragon, I don't know, maybe you feel like you don't need it, but there are other decks that could totally benefit from it. Like Lathis is a really great dragon tribal, or here's my personal favorite place for it. Borborygmos Enraged. This is a gruel commander who can toss lands away to deal three damage to your opponent's face. So you can just toss a bunch of lands out of your hand, deal like nine damage, play Nullspine Dragon, and then refill your hand full of even more lands to totally refuel. It only shows up in 21% of Borgamos decks so far. I feel like that's way too low. This is just a really interesting card draw effect in red that also packs a huge punch. So it just should be in more than like the 17, 1800 decks that it's currently showing up in. This is a mean dragon, real, real mean. And it gets around the problem with that, that you have with Dragon Mage where you risk wheeling everyone else into answers for whatever shenanigans you're doing. Mm, indeed, yeah. It's nice to have a, a red effect that doesn't make your opponents draw cards and it is yes. only yourself, absolutely. All right, guys, so let's look back at that list of the budget commanders. I had mentioned like, oh, were you surprised not to see any of those archetypes among the more common ones? But now let's actually look just like very definitely at the least common ones among the top 100. What are some archetypes that did not show up as being very commonly built on a budget? Dana, any standouts for you? Um, life gain. It, it, it's the kind of thing that, that we commonly kind of associate with casual you know, play at the kitchen table players. And for whatever reason, I assume they're playing on a budget as well. Only three decks showing up for life gain. And I, I would have thought that would be a little bit more popular among kind of a casual low budget crowd. I think I agree with you. But the thing is stuff like Olero, which is one of the most common, you know, life gain commanders. Yeah. That's three colors. And I feel like maybe the mana bases or having extra staples or something uh, that kind of pushed it into a different realm, into a different budget tier than the, you know, top slash yeah. bottom, no, the top lowest. But I still can't figure out how that works in my head. Uh, but yeah, we do have some standouts here like Evra showed up, which is a mono white commander that can switch your life total with its own power. Or Obzidot showed up here too, which is also registering as a life gain deck because it keeps on coming in and out of play to gain you a bunch of life. Um, so there certainly are some three of the top 100 that we saw there though. But yeah, life gain didn't show up very commonly. Um, and I do think that that's actually still a pretty cool strategy if you can do it, but just yeah. didn't show up and I have to register my own surprise. I mean, it's it's not really that surprising to me because when you get to the kind of the, like you were hinting at, Joey, the upper echelon of those life gain decks, um, there's some kind of expensive pieces in there. So to me, I, I'm not terribly surprised to see there aren't a ton of them. Um, same with Planeswalker decks. So any mm -hmm. type of super friends, that's not surprising to see towards the, the more expensive uh, end of the spectrum as well, because most Planeswalkers aren't really that cheap. And, and there's only two decks um, really showing up in that top 100, and that's going to be Chandra and Kithian decks. Um, both of those just happen to be kind of Chandra tribal and Kithian tribal or Gideon tribal. So, yeah, there, there's not a, a bunch of very expensive Chandras. There's a couple, but um, there's a lot of very cheap and, and not great Chandras <laughs> out there too. So uh, uh, seeing those two specifically on the budget end, 
that makes perfect sense. Yeah, those th those flip walkers that can be, it's more of a Chandra tribal or a Gideon tribal or something like that. So it's not really a dedicated planeswalker strategy. That was super not represented. And I guess kind of revisiting the life gain thing, you're right that I think a lot of the win conditions in particular tend to be very expensive. Like um, Etherflux Reservoir, for example, has certainly climbed up there in price. So it might be just that the win conditions themselves are what kind of puts that strategy outside the realm of this particular budget. Um, one that did kind of show up pretty small here that I'm a little sad wasn't more representative was the aristocrats strategy. Only two of the 100 uh, registered as aristocrats, and that was Shire, mono black Shire, that can bring a bunch of stuff back from the graveyard if it has low power, and Izoni, a Golgari commander that makes a bunch of insects for you. Um, really great when you've got your blood artists and your Zulaport cutthroat effects. I feel like aristocrats should be really easy to build on a budget because there are a bunch of really cool ones like Vindictive Vampire and Falconrath Noble. There's a bunch of really budget friendly ones the new bastion of remembrance for example um but it just didn't really show up here a whole lot and uh again i'm i'm a, I'm a little bit sad because man i like sacrificing my own creatures to make everyone else die well it, those decks though oftentimes do also tend to lean into kind of a stacks package with dictative erebos mm -hmm. and grave pact mm -hmm. and, and those are not cheap cards either and shire uh, although you know every shire deck i've seen has been relatively budget a lot of them still manage to find room for cabal coffers because romano black <laughs> and that card alone can screw up the the budget yeah. of that deck as well so yeah. it doesn't take many you know expensive cards to kind of throw the whole throw them throw a monkey in the wrench here so to speak yeah yeah it it kind of comes down to in a lot of these categories especially the ones that only have a few um how many of those key payoff cards are you putting into the deck uh like the aristocrats if you don't have a dictative erebos uh then the, the the average price is probably going to go down a decent amount same with life gain mm -hmm. if you're not playing the the sanguine bond combo then probably the average deck is going to go down quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And Planeswalkers, if you're not playing adjacent the Mind Sculptor or the, the Wallet Sculptor, I guess I should say, <laughs> for this situation, uh, it's going to give you a lot more room to kind of fill out the 99. It, it's not that you can't play the, these strategies because um, a lot of the support cards like we were talking about, those are budget, but some of those big payoff cards, that's where the price kind of comes in, especially with this, this next category of artifacts. Mm -hmm. There's only two artifact decks that come into this list of the most budget because like I mentioned earlier, a lot of artifact payoff cards, they are not cheap at all, but you have Jorkadine in this list and, and King Makar, which is a, are the two commanders that we're seeing here. Um, they're not playing some of these more expensive, probably blue, let's be honest, uh, types of payoff cards that you would see in other artifact themed decks. Yeah, no, artifacts, I, I am not surprised to see a low showing for artifacts here because artifacts feels to me, especially like it's going to be one of the more expensive strategies to be perfectly honest. And actually, Matt, while you were talking about some of the payoffs for some of those other things, like you mentioned the exquisite uh, blood sanguine bond combo, exquisite blood is very expensive. Yeah. I think you're totally hitting the nail on the head with some of those payoff cards, especially for the strategy. But there's still something interesting to point out there too. We noticed that plus one, plus one counters was a very popular strategy among, you know, the, among the most common budget strategies. But like a doubling, season would be really nice in a plus one counter strategy but and that's kind of like a, a really good enabler a really good maybe a payoff card uh you might call it in that strategy but it's not necessarily impeding the data for the plus one counter strategies mm -hmm. i think though that maybe it has to do with the density of it like you don't need a single doubling season you've still got plenty of other budget options that can still just put like five or right. ten plus one counters onto a thing you just play a mana gorge or hydra and that thing's going to take you all the way home if no one gets rid of it so it's not as necessary yeah. compared to you need a high density of planeswalkers to make that strategy actually work regardless of whether you have a doubling season or, or something like that you need a whole lot of artifacts to make artifacts good <laughs> um and they can certainly all be budget but a lot of those artifacts are going to be since they are so ubiquitous they can increase in demand and therefore increase in price and stuff like that so those those payoff guards and the high density of them as well i think is what's affecting these numbers a whole lot oh 100 and and i you kind of hinted at it and i, I really like that point of there's budget replacements for doubling season. There aren't really budget replacements for Sanguine Bond. Um, those yeah. both of those cards are kind of expensive. Well, uh, so that's why blood, you, I think is exquisite the blood. blood, blood yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> both of those cards aren't really cheap anymore, though. But yeah, point point taken. Yeah. Um, but even like Dictative Erebos, that's not very cheap anymore either. So that right. kind of keeps the aristocrats down. You can build those decks for sure. Um, but are there budget substitutions for some of those big key payoff cards? With tribal decks, there are. With plus one plus one counters decks, there are. Artifacts. I mean, you can play your Icker Wellsprings and all those types of. Uh, cantrippy things, but then once you get, you know, a Clark, a Clark clan ironworks, that's when the price starts to creep up a little bit. And so 
what are the payoff cards that are kind of gatekeeping from the budget to the more expensive decks? Yeah. Oh, and it's not just that too. You've got stuff like Darksteel Forge or yeah, there's there's mm-hmm. tons and tons of them, especially when they can enable a combo and then they get, you know, really high demand stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another one that I definitely want to touch on here that is super not showing up as a most commonly built budget archetype is lands. Land decks, we only had one among this top 100 that could count as a land commander, and that was Sasaya, a mono green commander that I barely can remember what it does. You have to have a lot of lands in your hand, and then it makes your lands do uh, tap for a whole bunch of mana. Like, really, really cool. It tends to have, like, 60 lands in the deck or something like that. Uh, but you're not seeing a lot of landfall here because a lot of those landfall cards are so expensive. You've got your Gitrog monsters, your Titanias, your Obnixilis, who has a landfall. It's a mono black Obnixilis, and he's really, really cool and really, really good. Um, Omnath also uh, can be very expensive. And then the support cards for them too, Azusa and Exploration and all of them. That's a very, very expensive one to try and build. It can always be done on a budget, but it's just not very common because those cards keep on climbing and climbing in price. So that's definitely one that I wanted to point out here. I love Landfall. It's definitely one of my favorite things to build, but it is not necessarily a cheap one to do. That's a really good point, Joey. One thing I want to mention here, because this just recently happened to me, um, you know, the last two decks I've built, um, I built uh, Kenrith the Return King earlier in the year, and I just built that Timrith the Murder King deck. Um, the Kenrith deck, if I wanted to build a really great land base and put duels in it, it would cost me my vehicle um, <laughs> to do that. So I didn't do it. I built a budget land base, and the deck, therefore, looks relatively inexpensive. Um, my Timurit deck, however, I look at it, I'm like, well, it's just a Badlands, um, which is still an expensive <laughs> card, but like, it's just one. It's, it's a price. It's a really expensive card. It was, you know, it's three digits to, to pick one up, but it's just one. There's just one expensive land in that deck. And mentally that made it way easier for me to do to pick up the one land than it did to pick up 10 for Kenrith. Therefore, it makes that deck no longer budget. So like I think sometimes if there's that one expensive card or maybe you know maybe the number's two maybe it's three whatever it is people might be willing to do to, to buy it even if the rest of the deck is dirt cheap therefore no longer making a show up as a budget deck whereas if you would need like five or six really expensive cards mm. to you know really hammer the deck home maybe people then won't do it I don't know where that number is but I think there's definitely some psychological thing there where people will spend money on a couple cards that therefore make it not budget and they wouldn't if it was, you know, a handful more. Well, and that's kind of something that we hinted at. And I think you did an article on this, actually, on, on this concept of people will will put more money into what is kind of commonly observed as more powerful commanders. Sure. You have, we, we saw Dagatar the Adamant on this list of, of budget commanders, and it has a very similar play style, has a very similar theme of plus one, plus one counters as gave Guru of Spores which is not a cheap deck. You know, if you look at the average Gave deck, it's it's very expensive because people for, you know, kind of look at it as this is a more powerful commander in the abstract. Therefore, it's probably going to be worth it more often to fully deck it out. You know, they're, yeah. they're going to put those doubling seasons in there. They're going to put those Dictate of Erebosis and all those expensive staples that you would see in the, the higher end decks of the, the you know, the, the, the dollar amount spectrum. You're not going to see those in Dagatar because people see Dagatar the Adamant and they think, well, this isn't as good of a commander, so sure. I'll just keep it as a, as a budget thing. It's kind of like the the uncommon commanders. They see uncommon as the rarity for that legend, so they typically will keep it as a, a more budget commander. I wonder if that's an effect that we really see, though. Um, I know we ta- hypothesized about that with uh, the Scarab God versus uh, Lazav or any of those, for example. You know, they see that as a, oh, this is a more powerful commander, so we'll spend more money, we'll invest more into making it more powerful and push those limits versus the ones that are kind of a middling power level commander. Yeah, I think when I did the article, I definitely found out people were willing to put more money in their Omnath deck than they would in their Mina and Den deck, or they're willing to put more money in their Scarab God deck than they would in the very similar Geese and Giraffe deck. So yeah, absolutely, the, the powerful commanders made people then want to build a more powerful and then generally speaking, more expensive deck. They would go the extra mile and buy the yeah. the dual land for the more for the more powerful commander. So for sure, there's some of that at play, definitely. Yeah, and and not even the the dual lands, but just 
you know, you have a, a, a Grim Grin deck and they just want to yeah. play their zombies or whatever, but then they have Scarab God, they're more likely to put in Cyclonic Rift, which is, you know, right. not a very, yeah. it's not a cheap card by any means anymore. So just all those little types of things, I, I wonder how often that holds true beyond just what we're making, you know, observation wise from the data specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really love that take. There is almost a cascading effect to budget in the way that you make yeah. it. Although it's just a bad lands is still a quote I'm never going to get out of my head. That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, there's one final thing that I do want to mention before we take off for this episode. The Command Zone a little while back had the uh, had Mitch from Commander's Quarters on to discuss uh, building decks on a budget. And he had listed out a handful of different archetypes that he found very easy to build on a budget. And they don't actually match up with the stuff that we had just mentioned. He mentioned that he said that Aristocrats, Voltron, Artifacts, Political Decks, and Combo Decks were all actually very... Uh, pretty easy for him to find budget replacements for those to find budget uh, available for them. We didn't see some of those like aristocrats, for example, or artifacts as being very commonly built on a budget. But that's really one thing that I want to uh, to address here is just like we're measuring the commonality of it, but not necessarily the power level or the mm-hmm. uh, the ease of doing so, just the commonality. And I also, like I had mentioned, I think aristocrats could totally be really great. And I would totally agree with Mitch's take on that one that like you've got a bunch of budget replacements that would be really, really spicy, make that a very very good thing, even if you are building um, on a lower budget. It doesn't necessarily need to. Or artifacts. There are tons of small artifacts that can do a whole bunch for you. It just is more commonly built expensive, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's less powerful. That doesn't mean that it's going to be more difficult, anything like that. I just wanted to make sure that we hit that note there because building on a budget, I mean... We talked about Zada at the very beginning. I have been hit by Zada and by Mowu so many times. It's so frustrating. These are still really, really good commanders, y'all. All right. On that note, what I think we need to do before I get frustrated about how many times I've been defeated by a Mobu and a Zada, I think what we need to do is call this episode to a close because, man, now I'm getting grumpy. Mobu's a good boy, but um, <laughs> now I'm getting grumpy. Anyway, thank you guys so much for joining me. If our listeners want to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And you can find the podcast we're streaming on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash EDH RecCast. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach, and you can hear me a couple times a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDH RecCast on Facebook and on Twitter. And if you have a question, a keen insight to EDH Rec's data, or maybe a challenge to stats pick that you think we ought to know about, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks again to Josh Lequai and the folks over there at Command Zone for making the podcast look as amazing as it does. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC to show your support for the show. Listeners, we would really love to hear from you about what you think is an easy archetype to build on a budget. Help your fellow brewers out in the comments below by listing out maybe budget replacements or archetypes that you have found that are easy to do or what maybe you would have expected to be the most common archetypes. We'd really love to hear from you. Crowdsourcing, getting data, information from you guys in the comments and on EDITREC. Oh, that's what it's all about. And it's just really great to be able to help deck build communally. Find some budget replacements, y'all. It's really great. Anyway, with that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. We'll see you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Mm-hmm.